Uh, we welcome you to Bible class here at St. Paul's, and we welcome our listening audience on KFUO as we continue our study of the book of Hebrews. And today we're going to start at chapter 9, verse 15. 9, verse 15. Okay? Now, a few comments before we begin this morning. We have been in a section of Hebrews that is frankly uh, a long section, and it is focused upon Christ as the high priest. It extends from chapter 5, verse 1, all the way through 10, verse 18. And then we'll see a switch in the topic that our author is dealing with. That section of five chapters and a little more basically has four parts that we need to keep in mind. First of all, the giving of the law as the first covenant and the fulfillment of the law by Christ. God gave the law to the children of Israel. And we need to remember that the children of Israel were called the Son of God. It's in Exodus chapter 4, when God is speaking through Moses to Pharaoh, he refers to the children of Israel as the Son of God, my son. Now, God made that first covenant with the children of Israel. And the first covenant was based upon God keeping his promises to them and their obedience to him through the Ten Commandments, especially by putting him first and having no other gods. From the beginning, God kept his promise by bringing them out from Egypt. But as soon as they were in the wilderness, they failed the test. They were tested and failed. And they were disobedient and rebellious from that time forth. With the coming of Jesus Christ, and we can follow this in the book of Matthew and other places, God sends his own son. And this son is not going to be like the disobedient, rebellious son, the children of Israel. This son is going to be perfect. So as one example, the children of Israel were in the wilderness 40 years and were tempted and tested. Jesus Christ went into the wilderness for 40 days and was 
tested and tempted by Satan. He is going to be the obedient son. He's not going to misuse his power. He's not going to worship other gods. And Satan tries to tempt him to do so, and he is the perfectly obedient son. So the theme here in Hebrews is, we have the law of the first covenant, which the children of Israel broke. And then we have the perfect fulfillment of the law by Jesus Christ, the obedient son. He did what the others, what the children of Israel could not do. He was their substitute and took their place. A second theme is, and we've read about this in several places, is the comparison of the Levitical priesthood to the high priesthood of Christ. The Levitical priesthood was by genealogy in the tribe of Levi. They offered sacrifices of animals. And they had to offer them for themselves because they too were imperfect. The whole sacrificial system of Israel was to give the people a physical access physical access to God. And I'll say more about that in a few minutes. Whereas compared to the high priesthood of Christ, who animals but his own blood as the perfect sacrifice, and he is not a high priest for just a certain time until death. He is the high priest forever. So that's a second theme. A third theme is that the Levitical priesthood repeated these offerings day after day, and in the Day of Atonement, when we, that's once a year, but they were repeated daily, where the emphasis on Christ is, he offered one sacrifice one time. Because the Levitical sacrifices were imperfect. We'll talk about that later today. But Christ's sacrifice was perfect. The fourth theme that is talked about is in the first covenant, we see that the sacrifices were just that. They were sacrifices for sin. That is, to make the people so that they did not desecrate God's holiness. So that they were allowed, at least the priests, into the holy place and the high priest once a year into the Holy of Holies. But these sacrifices were for the sins of the people so that the holiness of God was not desecrated. 
versus the sacrifice Christ made that was not just to give, as the Israelites were, access to God at the tabernacle, but the sacrifice of Christ was for the full and complete forgiveness of sins. Access to God in heaven. The eternal heavenly things. The sacrifices on earth were imperfect. They cleansed the people so they could have some access to God. But they did not provide full and complete forgiveness of sins. They did not. If they had, things would have been different, and we're going to talk about that this morning. So those are the four areas that are discussed in these five chapters. And we will have those kind of in the back of our mind as we discuss things today. So verse 15, chapter 9. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. The law demanded perfection, and nobody kept it. Jesus Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. Not the old one, the new one. He is the mediator in that fact that he inaugurated it. Because of him, the people of God are receive an eternal inheritance. You've got to remember, God promised the Israelites he would give them the promised land. That was a physical promise. But in Christ, you are promised eternal life. Okay? Through the full and complete forgiveness of sins. So Jesus Christ brought about the new covenant. The new covenant was not based on God keeping his promises and the children's obedience, it was only based on Jesus Christ, who had provided perfect obedience by keeping the law in our behalf, so that the gifts we received are much greater than the promised land, their eternal life in heaven. For what Christ has done is not an earthly thing. The gifts that he earns are eternal. So that 
He redeems us from the transgressions committed, in other words, from our transgressions of the law. Forgiveness. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. All right. He is giving an earthly example here. Now, there's a little play on words that you can't see because it's in the Greek. The word used for will is testament. And the one who dies is a testator. Okay? A testator. The testator must die before the testament takes effect. So, he's liking it to Christ in that this testament, this new covenant, did not take effect until Christ died. Until Christ died. And then it took effect. It took effect. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. Now, our author is changing from death, and death is exemplified by blood, okay? And we could go in all different directions here. We could talk about the Lord's Supper. We could talk about all kinds of things. But we'll stay focused on the shedding of blood. Now, I want you to turn to Exodus 24, 3 to 8. Exodus 24, 3 to 8. Because the author of Hebrews is going to reference this, and we're going to read this first. This is the ratification of the covenant between God and the people. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. That's what he received on Mount Sinai. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins 
and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of all the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now, let me just say this, folks. If you don't like blood, this was not the time to be alive. Can you imagine as many sheep and oxen as those priests sacrificed? This was a bloody mess in front of that tabernacle. But the point is, this is when Moses first ratified this covenant. Notice the people say twice, we're going to obey all this. We're going to obey all this. God must have just sat in heaven and laughed. But it was ratified by blood, by the blood of the oxen that all these young men um, sacrificed. Now let's go back to verse 19. Okay. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, okay, we just read that. He took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. All right. The author of Hebrews expands on Moses that day. He lists three other things. Water, scarlet wool, and hyssop. These are mentioned in the book of uh, Leviticus. Uh, the water was used to mix with the blood to make a great volume of blood. The scarlet wool soaked up the blood. And the hyssop was like a... He sprinkled the people with it. Okay? He sprinkled the people with it. But the important thing was, it was the blood. He sprinkled the book itself. And then it talks about how he sprinkled the furnishings, the tabernacle, everything. This was done, as I said before, 
so that the holiness of God was not desecrated and they were allowed to have some access to God and it was through the sprinkled blood. All of this was a foreshadowing and a pointing to what Christ would do once and for all. This was all simply leading up to it. This was all a foreshadowing, as it says, a shadow of the perfect things to come that Christ would bring. But the key element is blood. Okay? So the tabernacle and the priests and everybody were sprinkled with blood to remind them of their sin, and they could not approach God without it. They could not approach God without it. And so we go on. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things, the copies would be the tabernacle and the furnishings on earth, copies of the heavenly things, that is what Moses saw and Sinai, to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Remember I told you a couple of weeks ago we're going to see the word better over and over again. What is this talking about? The blood of animals was used to purify the earthly tabernacle and everything involved with it. But now it comes time for the heavenly things. It's going to take a better sacrifice than the blood of animals and bulls. It's going to be the blood of Jesus Christ. Better sacrifices. The word sacrifices confuses us because it's more than one, but it's probably referring to the sacrifice of his body and blood. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands. Christ never entered the earthly tabernacle. Never went there. These are things not made with human hands, which are copies of the true things. Tabernacle on earth was a copy of what Moses saw in heaven. Okay? But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. You think about heaven, okay? What in the world in heaven needs a sacrifice to purify? Nothing. We have to be purified before we can go into God. 
and it is the, sacri the better sacrifices of Jesus Christ that indeed purify us. Verse 25, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The priests did it over and over again. Not only daily sacrifices, but the reference here is to the Day of Atonement once a year. These, uh, the Day of Atonement especially, reminded the people of their sin. They were not to forget that. But the earthly priests did it over and over again. If Jesus Christ would have been like the earthly priests, he would have had to do it over and over again. But he was the perfect son and the perfect high priest, and so he did it once. And nothing further was needed. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. We have accounts of this. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the sins of Israel. It was a scary time because it was the only time the high priest was allowed in the Holy of Holies. If he looked directly at the ark or he touched it, he died. So everybody would kind of hold their breath. Because if he didn't come out and he died, there was no atonement for the sins. They stood outside the tent, tabernacle, and eagerly awaited for the priest to come out Sacrifice had been made and their sins atoned for. So, as New Testament Christians, we are to eagerly await the day that Jesus Christ comes back because eternal life is ours. It's all done all here. It's all here. So we eagerly await. Eagerly await.
All right. Let me stop there and see if comments. Yeah, Mark. Yeah, it was the book in which he wrote down what God said on the mountain. Yes, yeah, it would be. No. Well, only by offering a sacrifice in their behalf. But they did not say, now your sins are forgiven. We don't have any record of that. Okay. Uh, by offering the sacrifice, the priest would accept their sacrifice, and it was accounted to them. Okay. But we have no place where we see that a priest said, now your sins are forgiven. Yes. It was just blood. He just took the blood, first of all, of a bull and sprinkled it on the floor, but the blood of the goat that had been sacrificed, he sprinkled on the atonement cover, the actual top of the ark, okay, where the two cherubim were over it. He sprinkled that. And incense was burning to cloud his view of the ark. I'm sure he was terrified. Okay. Yeah. Terrified. Yes. Yes, that's the, that's the scapegoat. Same day. Same day. Correct. And for now, it's temporary. When he brings about, it will be eternal. It will be eternal. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, you ask him at the sim, and I'll let you have it then. Yes, yes. Is this pointing to the fact that the heavens that the author of Hebrews is speaking of are the created heavens that have not yet been recreated in perfection, and all creation has fallen in the fall of Adam? I don't think so. I don't think we can say that when the fall into sin occurred on the earth, it actually affected the heavenly things. I don't think we can go that far. Okay? I don't think we can go that far. All right. Ten. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw 
near. Okay, since the law, since this first covenant is simply a shadow of the good things to come, and the good things to come would be eternal life, the good things would come would be full and complete removal of sin. Pure conscience, remember we read about that? Not just outward, but pure conscience, okay? If those sacrifices continually offered could make you perfect, why offer any more? That's what the next verse says. Otherwise, would they, uh, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? In other words, if the animal sacrifices offered in the wilderness at the tabernacle had perfectly atoned for sin, then you don't need to do it every year. They would have been good once and for all. Consciences would be, have been uh, clear. But they aren't perfect. They aren't perfect. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. There it is. They were cleansed outwardly. Their consciences were not cleansed. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, now this is a very uh, unique quote here. It's attributed to Christ. It is Psalm verse uh, chapter 40. And what we're allowed to see here, what we get a vision of, is the son talking to his father. The son talking to the father. He said, Christ said, sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. Me. This is referring to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The sacrifices and the offerings of the past you have not desired, but you have prepared a body for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. The Son is saying to God, the Father, 
These sacrifices of the past were not what you really wanted. So you gave me a body so I could do, I could be the sacrifice. And behold, I have come to do your will, to save the world. And it is written in me in the scroll of the book, in the Old Testament prophecies. The Son is speaking to the Father about what he is going to do to get rid of the Old Covenant and its sacrificial system and to offer his body as the sacrifice save the world, which is the will of God. Very rarely do we get to see this kind of internal communication of the Son and the Father, but it is here. It is here. The author comments on it. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, the old covenant. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The son perfectly obeyed his father's will. And note it says the body of Jesus Christ. The body God provided was the sacrifice and it was unlike the imperfect sacrifices of the Old Testament, a perfect sacrifice and only needed to be offered one time. Okay? One time. Not more than once. Not more than once. Okay? Everybody with me? Okay. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. We know the sacrifice was perfect and complete because the God the Father accepted the perfect sacrifice. If it was not the perfect sacrifice, Jesus would never have been seated at the right hand of God. It's complete, it's done, it's perfect, it's finished. 
And now he rules with the Father. Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now notice the phrase, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. That gets a little complicated because we don't know exactly who the enemies are. Now, he's defeated Satan, okay? He's defeated death, he's defeated sin. Who are these other enemies that he is waiting for to be placed over them? We need to remember two things here. The first is this, Jesus Christ wants all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why does he wait in his coming? Why does he wait? Because he wants more people to be saved. He wants more people to believe the gospel. And so there is this waiting. You know, how bad does it have to get for he's fed up and destroys the world? But his patience of wanting to save others trumps his anger. The gospel trumps. Because God is love. He would rather save them than destroy them. Okay? Would rather save them than destroy them. Ruth? So then these enemies that you refer to are those that refuse to accept Correct. To the, to the, reject them to the very end. That's correct. That is what he's referring to those that continually reject him for their whole lives. Yes? Um, I, I, I'd have to think about that. That's more temptation. That's more temptation. But the, the point is, he'd rather save them than destroy them. And then all of a sudden, he quotes, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, at the end of chapter 8, you remember it was a long quote from Jeremiah 31? He now quotes that again. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them in their minds. Here, we are pretty much convinced that what he's talking about is the spoken, preached, read word of God is going to be written in the hearts of believers. 
as never before. As never before. And that happens every time the Word of God is read anywhere, especially in God's house. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Now, that does not just mean that God overlooks them, chooses to look the other way. It is more specific than that. What it basically means is this. Sin is no longer a factor in your relationship to God. It's gone. It's gone. In Jesus Christ, it's gone. It is no longer a factor between you and God. It's simply gone. He remembers it no more. You are his child. And you are in a relationship with him based on the fact that your sin is gone. It is forgiven. Gone. Okay? And then he closes, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Jesus Christ does not need to be offered for sin again because sin is destroyed. It's gone. Your relationship with him does not include sin. Doesn't include it. Your sins are forgiven, gone. He remembers them no more. No more. There are other passages that imply this. Cancel the debt of your sin. Yeah, Mark. Yeah. Well, in the Old Testament, it would have been that they were offering more animals. The Catholic Mass is a re-sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which is why we have serious problems with it, because how many times have we read he was sacrificed once? He doesn't need to be sacrificed again for Grandma to get her into heaven. Okay? So we take issue with that. We take issue with that. Um, no other, it says, no other offering for sin is necessary. That's it. That's it. Yes. Yes. Sin existed. Oh, yeah, sin, sin exists. But when God looks at you, he chooses not to remember any of those. No. Because then, it, because then it wouldn't be heaven. You want to sit around for eternity and remember your sins? Okay. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, Bob. 
God's patience, allowing them some access to him, but waiting for the atonement event of Jesus Christ. Yeah, so? Only in the fact that they would be paid for by Jesus Christ. Not by the blood of bulls and goats. But the faith would be in the promise of God. In the promise of God. Yes. So when Nathan is the son of David, over his sins and has she been derived? Yes. David confessed that I have sinned. Yes. And then Nathan says, the Lord has put a warning for sin. Right. Is that absolution? That's an absolution. Yeah, Jim. Because we need it. Because if we just say, okay, ollie ollie and free, we have to be reminded that we're sinful and we need forgiveness every day. So it's about us, not about what we're doing it for our own. Our own spiritual life. Okay. Um, God forgives your sins. Okay. But the worst thing could possibly happen is you forget you're sinful and think you're okay. That's why it's so critical that you go through the spiritual, self-controlled exercise of reminding yourself, I'm sinful. Because our human pride doesn't want us to think that way. That's why we still preach the law and the gospel in church. If I told you you were wonderful every week, you'd be impossible to live with. Okay? Has to be the law and the gospel. Mark? We deceive ourselves. Uh, it comes from the scriptures because we need that. God doesn't. They they ignore them. They ignore what they say. Okay, and there are some that believe they can earn perfection on this earth, which they can't. They can. But we have to constantly be reminded we are sinful and we desperately need Jesus Christ over and over and over again. We can never hear it too much. David, one quick one.
Because God wants you to be reminded all the time that He's forgiving your sins. And so He has put the office of the keys there to remind us constantly our sins are forgiven in the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If you are an unbeliever and refuse to believe in Christ, there is no forgiveness of sins. Yeah. All right. We got to go. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.